Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word this day and ask your blessing on this time as we think about it, pray about it, and seek to have a better understanding of it for our lives this day. Amen. So I've had this song in my head lately. It, it's been in my head as I've been reading through our Ephesians text, and uh, I'm not going to sing it for you right now. Um, Although it's hard, because it's hard to share the words of a song, especially one that's been in your head, without turning it into singing a little bit. And perhaps if I was a little more confident, I would do it, but I'm not going to. So this is how the words go. And if you know the words, let's see if you can fill them in with me. I, I realize that I don't know where I learned this song, and you may not know it. I thought more people would, but I've been asking people, do you know this song? And I've gotten, everybody said no. So we'll see. So... It starts like this, says, all God's critters, sometimes it's creatures in different versions, all God's critters got a place in the choir. Some sing low and some sing higher. Some sing out loud on a telephone wire. Some just clap their hands or paws or anything they got. I love it. The song goes on with several verses devoted to the sounds of bullfrogs, the cows, the hippos, the birds and dogs and cats, the donkeys and ponies, honeybees, crickets, more birds, otters, a porcupine who talks to himself, an ox and a fox and a grumpy alligator, a sly old weasel and a turtle dove, among others. All God's critters got a place in the choir. Some sing low and some sing higher. Some sing out loud on the telephone wire. Some just clap their hands or paws or anything they got. The song was written by American folk musician and composer Bill Staines, and I was surprised at how many different recordings there are of this song. It's a, it's a catchy tune, it's a fun one, and it's been interesting to see even how many contemporary music groups have taken the little fun turn and recorded the song. And if you've never heard it, I encourage you to give it a listen. There are a lot of fun versions of the song, and I'm going to put one in the weekly connection this week for you if you haven't heard it by then already. So part of why I love this song is imagining all the little animals described in the song. It's fun to think about a porcupine who talks to himself, right? Who keeps to himself, that poor guy. No one wants to be near him. Or the grumpy alligator. I pretty much look at the face of an alligator and I think about the grumpiness. So it's kind of fun and I don't think there's a version of this song that doesn't make me smile and laugh and think about this imagery of these animals all being together, part of God's choir. All God's critters got a place in the choir. All God's creatures have a place in the choir. No matter how you sing the song, the message remain this, remains the same. All have a place in God's choir. Our past few scripture lessons, the last several or last couple weeks, have been from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. These chapters have all been about defining God's claim on each of our lives, all God's critters, and God's adoption and selection of God's people as the ones to carry out God's work in the world. These chapters have been about have been about us, yes, but they've really been about God and about the writer's declaration of God as the one who has been faithful, as one who has chosen us, one who has called us. The, the writer encourages his audience and us to have hope, hope 
not just in a world where things are better than they might be now, but a hope that is certain, a hope in God's good future, a hope in God's good future that has already been ensured in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so hope in this sense, and we've talked about this before, hope in this sense isn't optimism or hopefulness based on wishful thinking. This is a different type of hope. It is a hope of certainty, a hope that unites the church so that the church can bring God's hope into the world, a hope that isn't based on us or our condition, but on God's promises and God's assurances to God's people. Assurances that even when things we might wish for don't happen, or the change we long for in our lives or in the world doesn't happen the way we want it, even then, God's goodness and God's claim on our lives is certain. That's the hopefulness of the gospel. And so the first three chapters of Ephesians are about precisely this movement of attempting to define why does the church exist? Why did God create humanity? Why has God called humanity into partnership with God? And what has God done to bring the church together? And perhaps even more so, how does God's work through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus make everything in our lives have some unifying purpose? This is the first three chapters. It's, it's a kind of a, a theological summary of God, a theology, a beginning to understand who is, who is God. But the interesting part of this letter to the Ephesians is that the writer doesn't stop there. The writer doesn't stop with this foundation of theology, but rather moves from theology to answer the question, so what? So what that God has done all these things for humanity? So, so what that God has adopted us, that God loves us, that God has chosen us for God's work in the world? So what? that God has showered us with grace. So what that God has an eternal purpose in Jesus Christ? So what? Alan Verhey, a contemporary theologian, writes that the most important word in Scripture isn't love or humility or even grace or salvation. These are all words that come up a lot, but that they're not the most important word. He says, the most important word is a word that came at the outset of the scripture lesson that Matt read for us this morning, the word, therefore, therefore. Verhey writes that throughout scripture, therefore often signals the link between its talk of God and its talk of human conduct. He continues, in Scripture, after all, human conduct is measured and motivated by who God is and what God has done. Verhey points to example after example in Scripture when God declares things about God and what God has done for God's people, and then, therefore, or the pattern of God's love for God's people, which is then followed by God's people loving others. God is always the first to act, and then there's our therefore, our response. God invites us into partnership with God, and that's the therefore, the the so what, or or maybe even another way to put it, the, the now what, the what comes next. And so there's this shift in this letter from declarations about who God is, about God's claim on our lives. There's, there's a transition to the so what, the therefore. 
And in the therefore, we find our response to God, and that's the heart of what's in our text this morning. And, and the writer is pretty straightforward with a clear, albeit tall, order. He essentially says that since God has done all of these things, and since God has called us to be the church, God has called us to be partners with God, we should lead lives that are worthy of this calling. And we should do it with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, is that all? Is that all we're supposed to do? I think we have to look at that list again because it's a tall order. These are characteristics we're invited to have. Listen to them again. Humility, gentleness, patience, as we bear with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Friends, it's a tall order. It's a lot that's being asked of you. It's a lot that's being asked of me, of us, of the church, of our families. But there's a problem that we encounter if we treat the so what, if we treat that list as our responsibility alone. If we treat it solely as our response to God, if we say God loves us so we have to love others, and we treat those as separate things, we've got a problem if the responsibility is just on us, don't we? I think we do. You see, if the tall order is placed upon us, our initial reaction is going to be something like, okay, that sounds great. That sounds idealistic. Yeah, I'll be humble and I'll be gentle and, 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 and I'll do all of those things. Yep. Well, I can tell you that realistically, my humility and gentleness and patience are only going to last as long as it takes for me to interact with someone or something that pushes up against it, and that's not going to take long. It's easy to have these characteristics until we have to interact with people, right? If we're measuring ourselves against these characteristics, we might even be sunk before we even begin. And by the way, We've got a few more lessons from Ephesians, and we're going to see this even more in this letter, and it's going to get interesting, because in, in writing this letter, the writer to the Ephesians is making it clear that there's work to be done. Well, in fact, we see it throughout Scripture, though, especially throughout the directions, the instructions of how we live. We see it in in the Old Testament. We see it in the words of Jesus. There's a tall order of ethical and moral uprightness throughout Scripture, and it's a tall order that seems to doom us to failure when we seek to accomplish all of these things on our own, separate from God, and even more importantly, when we separate the human actions or attributes, the things of our lives— from the divine attributes of God, the characteristics of God that I talked about in those first three chapters of Ephesians, what I called theology. It isn't simply that God loved us and now we love others. That's, that is how we often look at it. But I would offer that it's, it's, it's also that God loves us. God loves us. And we, therefore, are brought into partnership with God as ones that are created in the divine image, 
who are blessed to be partners with God in bringing love into the world, where we are part of the continuing work of God. God didn't just pass the baton to us and say, I did my part, now you do yours. God is with you. God is with us even as we seek to do and be these things. I wonder if you see the distinction there. It may seem a bit nuanced, but I think it's significant. God doesn't merely tell you, get out there and go be good. Be kind, be nice. God says that God goes with you into the world and that you have become part of God's good news in the world. When God, in you, in us, brings us to this place of humility, of gentleness, of patience, and of bearing with one another in love. God unites us together and to God in this great challenge. Indeed, the very answer to how we grow in these characteristics, friends, the answer is found right in these pews. It's found in these pews, in the community that gathers, in the community that gathers here that has been gathering all year online, in the mixed-up mashup of fellow lost souls that God has brought together with one another in this mystery that we call church. God gives us the gift of one another, and God has given each among us, among you all, gifts to use on the journey. Gifts we can use to guide one another toward God, to guide one another in the hope we have in Christ, to guide one another as we seek to understand God more and as we seek to love God's world more. But the writer of Ephesians knew that living in community Living with one another isn't easy. If it was easy, then the writer wouldn't have had to encourage the people to work at it. Think about that. When we look at a lot of Scripture, we have to think about why it was written. It was written because we needed it to be written. So there's some reassurance built in there as well. You see, We can find encouragement in our text because the writer is acknowledging that when people gather together, even when our hearts are in the right place, tension and conflict can occur. And in the midst of community, with Christ as our foundation and our strength, it's our calling then to bring our gifts, our individual gifts to the table and to also seek out the gifts in others, the ways that others can help us to grow and us to learn. And as we seek to build one another up, we do so in this community in love. We look for God's work in the lives of one another, in the gifts of one another. I want to read a quote from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, a South African theologian, from his book, No Future Without Forgiveness. He writes this about the concept of Ubuntu. I wonder if you've heard this word before. Ubuntu, he writes, is very difficult to render into a Western language. It speaks of the very essence of being human. When we want to give high praise to someone, we say, you u nobuntu, which means, hey, so-and-so has Ubuntu. Then you are generous, you are hospitable, you are friendly and caring and compassionate. You share what you have. It is to say, my humanity is caught up inextricably bound up in yours. I love that. My humanity is bound up in yours. We belong, he writes, in a bundle of life. We say a person is a person through other persons. 
It is not, I think, therefore I am. It says, rather, I am human because I belong. I participate. I share. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming to others, does not feel threatened that others are able and good, for they have a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that they belong in a greater whole and they are diminished when others are humiliated or diminished, when others are tortured or oppressed or treated as if they were less than who they are. Friends, bringing ourselves into community, bringing our gifts, even when they may not seem like gifts, bringing our whole selves to the work of God in the world means starting right here, starting right here in church community, and then going out into our lives, into our homes, into our relationships with all those around us, with those whom we encounter, with our world. And in all of it, we seek to be ones who do what the writer to the Ephesians wrote about. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Building itself up in love. Partnering, my friends, with God, being united as we seek to grow, loving and valuing one another, Even the porcupine who talks to himself, the hippopotamus who moans and groans with a big to-do, the otter who hasn't got much to say. We've all got a place in this choir. All God's creatures got a place in the choir. Some sing low and some sing higher. Some sing out loud on a telephone wire. Some just clap their hands or pause or anything they got. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.